Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Generation Ag. Today I was lucky enough to interview Hugh Dawson. Some of you might be familiar with his story. He was featured on ABC Rural on Facebook a while ago. Great story. So we thought we'd get him on the podcast and hear the whole story. So Hugh grew up on a relatively small hobby farm in the Fleuria Peninsula, South Australia. He had absolutely nothing to do with being on a cattle station or station life or anything to do with the Northern Territory, but thought, you know what, in his gap year, he'd just take on the task of heading up to a cattle station uh, after he finished school. And he's now been working on a cattle station for five years and is the head stockman on Beedaloo Station and it's his fish, he calls it his fifth consecutive gap year. He believes it's crucial for young people in the industry to be represented and shares a story of the live sport, uh, live export chain to ensure that we can continue to improve animal welfare standards globally. He's such an awesome ambassador for live export and Hugh's really interesting one not coming from the industry. He's got a very uh, open perspective and he's really great at understanding and hearing all of your questions and answering them appropriately. So if you do have any questions about live export, then Hugh's a great ambassador and we'll get into him and what he's actually doing in the NT or carrying over next year because obviously COVID's had a few uh, issues with him being able to carry out his ambassadorship. So let's just get into it because it's a pretty epic story. And also, if you want to know more, go and follow him on Twitter and Instagram because you'll get to see a little bit more visually of what you can't see um, when we talk about it on the podcast. Enjoy, guys. Hugh, do you want to just start by telling us about yourself and your upbringing? Yeah, no worries. So I guess the thing for me is I'm not – like I, I didn't really grow up on a, on a station or on a property. Um, my dad's a winemaker, so there was that little connection with, um, with primary industries, but not, not in a real farming sense. Um, so we grew up on – I got in trouble for calling it a hobby farm – on my ABC interview, but essentially it's a hobby farm. <laughs> so we had a few cows and, um, you know, a tractor. We had a few motorbikes, but it wasn't, it wasn't you know, the vast expanse that that, uh, that you grew up with if you grew up on a station or something like that. So um, I guess that was where I grew up. I went to a little primary school in Wollonga. So I, I'm about an hour south of Adelaide. Um, to okay. put you on a map. Yeah. Um, so went to primary school in Wollonga and then went to, I was lucky enough to go to a boarding school in Adelaide. So I spent uh, year eight to 12 there mm-hmm. and I loved that until I got to about year 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a really visual learner. I like sort of, you know, joining the dots, seeing how things work and then um, I guess putting the pieces together, which I think, like for me, school was um, until I got to yeah, year twelve, and it was remember this sort of being exam, and I it just didn't didn't really interest me. Um, and so that I guess is where 
I came up with the idea to go away from Adelaide and sort of um, it really was just to, to run away a bit. But no, look, I, I had a really, um, a really good upbringing, I think. And I think the biggest thing for me, we, we never really had, you know, your PlayStations and computers mm. and iPods. Totally I can relate. If we, yeah, if we used to say we were bored, I'd get locked outside and it was sort of <laughs> go and entertain yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pretty grateful for now because yeah, I think it, it does definitely make you appreciate being outside and, well, I guess you sort of had to when you were locked outside. <laughs> <laughs> you got you make your own fun, don't you? You kind of figure it out, and I think you learn a lot of resilience when you get to grow up on a property. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that was where we were really lucky is that we did. You know, I call it a hobby farm, but it was enough fun to to run around and crash into trees and hurt yourself and decide that wasn't a very good idea and not to do it again and you do it another three times before you stop doing it. <laughs> and so relate to all of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I think, no, very, yeah, very well-rounded, um, sort of had a bit of a go at everything. We were bits of sports nuts. I've got one uh, younger brother who's actually, um, he's in America. At, well, he's not at the moment. He's back at home, but he's about to go back over, I think. Mm. Um, he's at University of Cal Berkeley and he's yep. rowing over there. So we've always always been um, pretty big on our sports. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tried to keep pretty, pretty fit and active. So Yeah. So I guess year 12, you went to a private boys' school and I know we've spoken off air about the only pathway in high school that they kind of tell you is university, especially at a school like that. What was that influence or what was the initial decision behind going to work on a station? Um, so I guess, like I just said, it was really just to get away from Adelaide and to get out of that sort of little bubble because I really did feel, oh, it's, it's pretty rough, but almost betrayed because, you know, you go mm. to this school that promises you, um, you know, I guess enjoyment out of a career, mm. but then they're just, they're driving you into that, into that university, um, study, which to me, you know, I didn't feel like it fitted at the time and they, there wasn't that option to to go and do a gap year or, you know, look elsewhere. It was just, mm. you know, finish school, get a good ATAR, go to university and you'll yeah. be successful. And then yeah. sort of for me, like, well, you know, what's success? It doesn't, they sort of, I, I felt um, anyway that, you know, the the message was if you go to university, it's all going to fall in your lap, mm-hmm. which is so far from the truth and, you know, doesn't matter if you go to university or if you go and do what I've done and and try and make it a different way, you've got to work hard and you've got to, you know, really drive to get there in the end. So um, I guess, yeah, I guess that sort of, (laughs) they might have missed the mark with me there, but, um, (laughs) yeah, that was definitely definitely one of the reasons for coming up here um, was just to to get away and try something different. And, And I really really had no idea what I was getting myself into. So it was pretty pretty exciting when I did make the decision to, to come up. Yeah. And what was that first year like transitioning to station life? Um, it was funny, I guess, because I hadn't had exposure to, you know, the big hats and the flash boots and, you know, you got to have the right jeans and all that kind of stuff. And um, that year we had uh, a few fellas returning so you get your second and third year egos and they're trying to knock around all the first years. And uh, we had a big, big crew that year. 
Um, so there was a lot of sort of room to hide if you weren't pulling your weight. And um, I, for me, I sort of hooked in and loved it because it was hard work and that's something that I'd, I'd always enjoyed was being outside and sort of pushing myself. And um, oh, I probably upset a few people along the way, stepping on the toes of second and, th- and third year people. But um, no, I think that was, I, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. We had, we had about six people leave that year. Mm-hmm. Um, that decided, you know, it was all too hard or the cattle are mean to me and <laughs> <laughs> this, this, that and the other. But, no, I think I uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was... It's um, a hard day, isn't it? I, I feel like it, isn't it, for <laughs> some people, it's just uh, they've just got no idea what they're walking into, do they? Yeah. And, I mean, look, I was, I was one of them. I had no idea, literally no idea. Yeah. I remember I got off the plane and I was in Darwin Airport and I was wearing my Cobra in the airport. I looked like a complete clown. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I get into my hotel and, you know, I'm used to being by myself, but I was sort of felt more alone than ever at that point in time. I think I was in Darwin and I was going, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. I've committed the hours on the Greyhound the next day. I think I got into Elliot. For anyone that knows Elliot, I think all it is is a BP service station at about 11 o'clock at night hoping someone would pick me up. So. <laughs> this is a story for the age. I love it. <laughs> Launched myself into the deep end but um, fell in love with it pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Is this so your fifth was... year there, fourth year? <laughs> yeah, fifth year. Yeah. So um, it was sort of funny. I remember that first day because no one had, you know, wait up until 12 o'clock at night to see a first year ringer rock up. So I met mm. everyone the next morning, met uh, met the head stockman at the time and I was asking him, I was like, oh, you know, how long have you been here? And it's pretty fresh-faced and naive. And he's like, oh, this is my fifth year. And I thought thought to myself, I was like, what? What have you been doing with yourself to be here for five years? Because <laughs> at the time, <laughs> I had no idea. And uh, here I am. <laughs> it's you in the flesh. Yeah, I'll- yeah. <laughs> I love that. But you can tell that how you're talking about it, that you just, you love it and that's exactly where you want to be, right? Yeah. And I think so to, to go back a little bit, my first real, um, I suppose connection, if you like to the Northern beef industry was around the, uh, around the images we saw in 2011, um, just before they banned, temporarily banned live export. So yeah, all I'd seen was, uh, they do really horrible things to cattle and mm. that's terrible. But I'd never really sort of, you know, seen more, seen past that, I guess. Mm. So when I got up here, um, I sort of, you know, it, it really opened up a new world to me and I saw what we were doing. I saw the changes we were making and, and that was when it really clicked. I was like, oh, you know, maybe there is more to the story here. And then that's, I guess, when I, I really started getting... Um, yeah, down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I love that's the terminology you use. So for, yeah. any, for anyone listening, what is a typical day in the life and what are those aspects that have just made you fall in love and want you to stay? Because you, you clearly, after five years, there's something about it that's got you hooked. Yeah, so I suppose um, for me and where we are is how diverse it is. There really is no typical day because it just, you just never know what you, you mm-hmm. literally never know what you're for. You, it'll, you have a plan the night before and 
by five thirty the next day it's changed. So yeah. Um, we could be doing anything from in the yards drafting cattle, so you know, or mustering to get the cattle to the yards, mm. or we do most of the maintenance on our own water bores, mm. um, which we've got something like about 60, 60 odd bores across the whole place. Mm. So it'll be pulling up that or and putting it down, and just mm. yeah, general maintenance on vehicles. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, for anyone listening that's not familiar with Station Life, can you explain what drafting cattle is and what boars are? <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get pulled up there. Sorry. Um, no, 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 you're right. Um, so I guess for us drafting, we'll get um, we'll have a mob of cattle that have been out and it could be a handful of paddocks over the wet season. Mm. So we'll bring all of them in together. We'll muster them all together. We'll put them in the yards and um, once they're in the yards, we've got a number of different draft lines. So we'll have cattle that are saleable mm-hmm. that we'll put together. We'll have um, <coughs> cows that are lactating that still have a calf on. Mm-hmm. I'll go we'll have calves that are big enough to be taken off mum. Mm-hmm. So weaners and the weaners will go separately. We'll have dry cows for further preg testing. Um, and so, yeah, we I guess we break up our mobs, get our sale cattle, away from our breeder cattle uh, and sort of and, and go from there. And, and it really does depend on, on what mob it is, I guess, we're bringing in. But mm. essentially it's just, you know, separating um, different types yeah. of cattle. Yeah, I reckon you've yeah. explained it pretty well. Yeah. And so for water, so for the boars as well, um, it's a it's a pump. So we drop a not, – we, no, we try not to drop the pump down the hole. <laughs> we'll put the pump down the hole and – uh, we've got. We're really lucky in the Barclay. We've got beautiful uh, artesian water that we can pump up and deliver that water to tanks, mm. and those tanks will feed troughs to uh, to irrigate cattle. So um, on Beedaloo, that's that's sort of uh, what sets us apart from everywhere else. Is we've got um, these tanks in grid systems. So yep. nearly every four kilometres, you'll run into a 135,000 litre water tank with four troughs on it. Um, and that sort of made us able to uh, open up a lot of country that we couldn't really use before, just because there wasn't access to to water. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty pretty unique. Thanks for that. And I guess uh, we can talk a little bit more about how you're kind of you're running the station now, aren't you? Or you're one of the main managers <laughs> because I or oh, you're definitely in charge of something. I know that. Um, <laughs> You're a leader because obviously, um, if anyone listening, um, Hugh was featured on an amazing ABC Rural post. Um, they did an amazing video on you and they basically, you and another guy are running the station over the summer by yourselves. What is that yeah. like? <laughs> what, what is that type of, that is a huge responsibility. What, what does that yeah. entail? <laughs> so I guess my role uh, on Beedaloo, on the, I guess, head stockman, if you like. Um, so I look after uh, stock camp and sort of that's during the, the mustering season, um, which is just, you know, day-to-day activity. Mm. I sort of fall under our manager or managers, Jane and Scotty. Mm. Um, so they'll give, give me a plan and then from there, the rest of us, our stock camp, we'll sort of go and get it done. Mm. Um, but over summer, yeah, I, I guess because we, um, because we are far enough north to have a wet season and dry season. Mm-hmm. Over the wet, we sort of we only have a real skeleton crew on. 
So, yeah. it, for instance, uh, the summer just gone with myself and, and our leading hand, queuing the Cray. Um, and Jane and Scotty were, uh, they were on Hamilton Island or something, somewhere delightful like that. <laughs> I wish I was there so, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Um, so, for Huey and I, it was um, just going around making sure cattle were where they were meant to be had access to feed and water, um, we're in pretty good condition because we've had the last two seasons, well, sorry, the wet season just gone was uh, just below average. The two seasons prior to that were pretty horrific. We've mm. had uh, yeah, nearly the worst worst seasons on record. So yeah. um, come January this year, yeah, there was, there was a lot of stress that went with that because, you know, you sort of barely have any idea what you're doing and you're <laughs> calling your boss. It's like, oh, uh, it hasn't rained yet. Those heifers are, yeah, they still don't have a lot of feed. So, mm. um, and then we were, we were really lucky that the season sort of broke and we, we got some good rain and it meant that we could have a little bit of a break ourselves, which was nice because we've been going since sort of February the year before, um, pretty flat out. So, yeah, it meant tools down for a little bit. We could do a bit of maintenance on uh, on vehicles and catch up around the quarters and have a few beers of an afternoon, which was, uh, which was pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's the small things in life, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> and how, we haven't even talked about this, but how many head of cattle are you managing on an average year? Um, so we put through generally about 80,000 head. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Because cattle, are, are, I mean, obviously in a station it's different, but cattle is a, they are hard work. They are a lot of hard yeah. yakka. 80,000 is a big <laughs> bloody deal. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely something that I uh, I was blown away by was the uh, the sheer scale of it. Um, so we operate across that 2.6 million acres, which I think is... Uh, that a touch over a million hectares. Mm, huge. So it's a uh, there's a fair bit of country there to cover. Mm. Um, but yeah, it uh, it definitely definitely keeps us off or on our toes anyway. Mm. <laughs> and I guess that's perfect to lead into our next question. You're now a chopper pilot. Um, can you talk to us about <laughs> that experience? Or you, what did you text me before? Something about you said. Hang on, let me get it. You go. I'm running myself through the dip as we speak. Uh, like, what are you? T- I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> um, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a, I was like, what are you? T-? I was like, is that a is that a um a term for something in the near the chopper? I was like, I don't know. I've got no idea. <laughs> I've never heard that. The dip. I mean, I get that the sheep dip, but like. I've ne- that's not a term we use here in WA. So I was like, what are you talking about? That's just top-end language for you. Yeah, no, it is. It's a, uh, I can't remember who coined that one, but um, it sort of stuck with us because it was pretty funny. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to start using it and see who, who catches on. Anyway, tell me about what was it like becoming a chopper pilot and what is the process involved? Because it's not as simple. It's very complex. Yeah, so I suppose um, for me it got to the sort of stage where we were doing, you know, we were in the arms drafting cattle and then we'd get to the, the end of that job and we'd be sitting there waiting for a helicopter. So, um, And also you sort of, as you, as you progress through 
these roles on on stations and on properties i think you sort of you get to a stage where you know you, you need to keep going and um to be able to keep benefiting a business you know you gotta you gotta start um i guess take taking steps forward uh the natural progression here because we are so dependent on on the use of helicopters was to go and do my license um so that you know you take away that period where you're waiting or um, you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs mm. waiting for a pilot to come and yard up or to come and block cattle up or um, whatever it may be. So I was, I was really lucky um, and I guess I have been really lucky to be working with Jane and Scotty where they've sort of they've fostered, um, I guess, my I guess work ethic and willingness to keep learning and um, they sort of, you know, put a fair bit of faith in me and went, right, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll help you you know, we'll back you a little bit through this and uh, we'll make the space for you. And, uh, yeah, so I went away. I went down to Maroochydore uh, last year and I thought it'd be great. I was like, oh, how good is this going to be? Two weeks in Noosa. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, was I wrong? (laughs) Two weeks of hectic study and learning. Yeah, I did my um, I did my theory down there because there's obviously a, there's two components there's a theory component and your practical component so mm. went down to Roach door did my theory down there and then uh, and came back up here and and did most of my flying in one of our machines um, and then I guess from there Scotty who he's been flying since he was seventeen I think he's forty three this year and he just sort of went right oh well away you go and mm-hmm. yeah through a heap of to me which was great and then um yeah just just never really looked back since but it's um it's definitely you when you don't have those machines in the air you realize how uh, how much we we do rely on them because we don't have um well we we don't really use horses mm. like i was saying with our, with our water development we've opened up a lot of country that you physically can't access yeah bike horse or even motorbike so you yeah. know our, our reliance on these machines is is um yeah, it's pretty. They're pretty essential in our in our work. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. That's really interesting about not using horses. I guess it's bringing you know an old industry to the twenty first century and really utilizing what technology we have. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think there are places that do use horses, and there are definitely benefits of using horses. Mm. For us, it just absolutely mainly because of yeah look the country the country mm. we we have is uh, is pretty pretty woody in in places it's a blustering pilot nightmare yeah but time yeah. um but it also just means you know we're not up at four thirty getting tack ready which i think would be the end of me if that had to happen i do like sleep so. yeah yeah <laughs> it's a big commitment when you see people who are up that early they've you know then they've yeah, got to yeah. take the horses out on the trailer to the paddock or the well, yeah <laughs> a lot of work, extra work for sure not that being a helicopter pilot isn't a lot of work as well because there's other <laughs> there's a lot of other sides to that that you have to be very switched on to be able to understand how to even fly a chopper so <laughs> yeah so um but i mean it's been uh it's been really interesting just seeing i guess you know on the ground you're watching these machines go and burn around and then all of a sudden cattle pop up in the yards it's like oh that's good yeah, Thanks, guys, and then yeah. actually they're doing 
about this. Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah. It's super interesting. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen a mustering chopper, I highly recommend your YouTube a video because it's just crazy watching, mm. isn't it? It's unbelievable yeah. how you guys fly them. Like, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, they are. They're pretty cool machines. I think the biggest thing is just sort of looking after them um, before anything else and then you sort of, yeah, when you look after that machine, they generally look after you, which is the aim. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And you're also a Young Live Exporter Network ambassador. Can you tell me a bit about this group and sort of what your part in it is? Yeah, so I, I guess the Young Live Exporter <laughs> Network, um, I guess it's really about connecting the supply chain. That's sort of my, my take on it. Um, I think as a producer, and that's sort of my uh, role in the live export chain, is is we produce the cattle. For us, you know, and a lot of places, you put your cattle on a truck and that's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think I became really interested in it because, you know, I, I saw what we're doing in um, improving animal welfare and animal handling standards on farm. And I sort of thought to myself, I was like, oh, you know, I guess, you know, it makes our job easier, but if they're only going away, then what's the sort of point? And then you sort of go, start exploring the next steps of the supply chain. <clears throat> our cattle then, you know, they truck better, they get off the truck better, and then from the truck, it's like, oh, you know, they go to Indonesia. Well, how do they get to Indonesia? So then you look at how they get to Indonesia and you go, oh, they go on these big cattle butts. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I wouldn't mind having a look at that. Mm. And we're lucky now we've got the Livestock Collective and they're doing really good things in, you know, making the whole process essentially transparent. You can go and look at what it's like for an animal on a live export vessel and it's it's pretty phenomenal. Like the uh, the standards on those ships is um, is something that, you know, we're, we're changing. We liter we're literally changing the world um, and how the world has to handle cattle and has to look after animal welfare if they want to be competitive with um, with our, our cattle and, and what we're <coughs> exporting. So that's something I found pretty fascinating and, uh, and I guess I got really passionate about that when touching back on what I said earlier, my first connection to the industry was seeing those terrific images, then understanding that, well, this is actually what goes on. That That's what really um, got me excited about getting involved and, and sharing, you know, those um, those reciprocal effects, I guess, of what we're doing on farm and how they're benefiting in market um, overseas. So I'm the, uh, to answer your question, I'm the Northern Territory representative of the Young Livestock Exporters Network uh, at the moment. So um, in a normal year, I'd get one year of doing that and we'd host an event. Um, this year, obviously... Has had a, Not a normal a year. <laughs> disruption. So um, I'm looking forward to carrying over the next year as well and hopefully being able to run uh, a few events for members um, and to keep sharing, you know, the positive things we're doing uh, because I think it's something that a lot of people, not just in industry, because I think if we're talking to people in industry, we're already preaching to the converted it's trying to share our message and to share what we're doing, share the, these amazing pictures of, you know, onboard vessels with people that haven't seen it or have only seen, you know, some staged footage that someone was paid for. I'm not going to go further into that. <laughs> we get the gist. Can you, um, can so, you talk to me yeah. a little bit about 
why um, live export is so essential for this country and why it needs to continue? Yeah, so I think the it's such a unique thing for Northern Australia particularly. Like Using us as an example, the country we have, <clears throat> as I mentioned before, you know, it's pretty... It's, it is, it's pretty tough country. Mm. There's not a lot to do with it. Um, and because of our climate, we can't run uh, a herd that will fit the domestic market. We can't run your Angus cattle, your Hereford cattle. It's too hot. They're susceptible mm-hmm. to, to cattle tick. You know, they just, it won't happen. We're suited to run um, tropically acclimatised breeds like your Brahmins. We run a cross of centipole through our herd as well. Mm-hmm. And then... We're on the doorstep of Indonesia, Vietnam, Malaysia. It's, it's almost a stone's throw to get over there. You're closer and probably got, than you are to where I am right now almost. Yeah, 100%. It would be, yeah, it, we'd get something, we'd get cattle quicker to Indonesia than I reckon we would to Fremantle. So, mm. um, you know, it's really unique in that sense, um, but also in the, in the way that we can breed cattle. Our cattle need a lot of room to, you know, to go and breed and do what they do. We can't fatten cattle because of um, our climate again. Uh, whereas you take our, our bulls and we, we mainly sell bulls to Indonesia and Vietnam. <coughs> you take our bulls over to Indonesia. In some feedlots, they'll put up to, you know, two and a half, nearly three kilos a day, mm. which is phenomenal. And that's because, you know, they can do it. They're suited to doing it. We can't. And that's just, that's, that's really the reality of it. The other, I guess, if you, if you look at the processing costs in Australia, for us to slaughter cattle in Australia and send it over to boxed beef is one thing. There's a huge expense that goes with that. Mm. Say you get it over there, half of them don't have refrigeration. Like it just, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work. So yeah. um, I think it, it is an industry that, that should be celebrated for being unique, but also for the way we're going about it, the way we are, um, you know, taking animal welfare and, and these animal animal handling standards across to our trade partners overseas and, and hats off to them for adapting it, um, mm. or, or adopting it rather, um, because, you know, they don't have to, but because we've got a product that they want, it's uh, it's something that we're, we're going to work in unison to try and achieve, so... It's, it's pretty special, I think. Yeah, I think you did an awesome job at just... There, there's obviously a lot of different opinions when it comes to live export, but I think it's great that we've got young advocates like yourself and all of the other guys involved with that and the Livestock Collective educating people and giving people the great resources. Like now you can even go and tour the ships, which is awesome to yeah. see how the livestock... Um, are and you know they offer that in western australia i'm sure in other states as well so people can always go and educate themselves it's just about asking the right questions and actually um doing a little bit of research before you listen to all of the headlines sometimes absolutely and i think you sort of you nailed it there in the in that it's so easy to condemn something if you don't have the full picture and i think that's something we haven't seen and that i think we're we're definitely taking steps in the right direction to, you know, to not hide, to not be scared of being a red button topic. It's something that I think we we should be talking about, we should be sharing, and, and like I said, we should be celebrating because we're doing, you know, a pretty incredible job. There's not many industries that will export, say, a tomato. If you exported to tomato, 
the tomato would just get there and no one would really care for, yeah. you know, you could paint a bloody orange red and <laughs> well, I'd probably cotton onto that, but, um, <laughs> There's, there's <laughs> definitely know, more. Uh, the, <laughs> horticulture is an industry that's not even looked at compared to the flack that's on the beef industry, a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not to sorry, not to drag horticulture <laughs> into it, but you know, there's not that next level of involvement and uh, an ongoing involvement on our part. We just sort yeah. of that's it. tomato goes on a truck and, and gets sent. So for us, it's that ongoing involvement, and then. Taking it, taking it right the way over, and, and making sure that it's done um, to the best we can. So, absolutely. I want to go back to talking about ag in general as a career. I mean, you've been able to achieve an awful lot at the age of only twenty-two, which is phenomenal. I think you're definitely a future leader for sure. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you think? Um, and why you think that agriculture is an amazing industry for anyone young who's listening that's thinking about a career pathway? Yeah, so I guess using myself um, as an example, I had a, a fair amount of pressure to go to university. Um, I guess going back to what I said, you know, obviously from school, at home. Um, I think, you know, there's this big misconception that, if you're going to go and work on a station, say, you do it as a gap year mm. uh, and then that's it. You go yeah. to uni and do ag science or something like that. So I think for me, the thing that really opened my eyes was when, you know, opportunities like um, I was involved with the future Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association and then obviously more recently the Young Live Exporters Network. Um, when things like that start getting in front of you, then you do start meeting some pretty incredible people and you start mm. forming contact. From those contacts, you know, little doors start popping up everywhere. Um, and like I said before, I think nothing's going to fall in your life. You do have to work for it, but um, 100%. there's that opportunity there to start working at it. It's not that it's not, that it's not there. Yeah. If you know what I mean, like it's not... When, when we did careers counselling, it was never an option. Yeah. You don't do that. You don't yeah. touch. It's not, it's not even, success. absolutely. It's just not even, exactly. it's not even a thought process for the schools to even say there's a career path there. 100%. And I think um, what you guys touched on it the other day, you know, it's, uh, there's so many people out there that we're, we're almost shutting out. We've nearly shut out two generations, I reckon. Mm. Um, it's not something that's, yeah, like, like you guys were saying, you know, there's this tall poppy sort of syndrome and if you're in ag, you, you, you're nothing. And we, mm. we're so bad at talking ourselves down when we really should be talking ourselves up and talking up, you know, these careers. It's not, oh, I'm just a, you know, just a station hand or something. It's, you can, you can take that further and, and keep building and keep working on it. Absolutely, um, and I think there's nothing between you know if you want to step into an executive role, you go for it. You can make it happen. Yeah, um, it's not a dead end road. There are so many, so many different pathways. I think you can take. You just got to take the first step. Yeah, um, and then from there, as I've done, you know, you really, if you immerse yourself in it, which is pretty easy to do, you can you can go anywhere. I reckon. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And in particular, if someone's looking to work on a station coming, I guess I'd say green like you were in the beginning, what's your best piece of advice for them? I reckon the best thing you can do is come with an open mind, mm-hmm. have a real willingness to learn um, and don't be afraid to, you know, to take a fall every now and again. We don't get it right all the time. Like I, <laughs> I'd hate to think how many times I've got things wrong. Yeah. <laughs> to start, you know, putting the next piece together. It's not, um, it's not all beer and Skittles. Uh, it is, it's hard, it's hard yak at, at times, but, um, but the good days, you know, they the, you just can't, you can't beat it. There is something special that you can't words to, but, um, yeah. And no, you're I in think, a pretty spot as well. I think that doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I think the, the biggest thing is just come with an open mind, have a willingness to learn and a real, a real eagerness to, to hook in and have a crack. Yeah. Um, because you know, that's the first thing we recognise is if someone's got a good work ethic and someone's keen on what they're doing and, and interested, um, ask questions too. Mm. Ask heaps yeah. of questions. Yeah. And, uh, and from there, you know, you, you set yourself up to, to go, go a long way. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And lastly, before we go, if people want to get in touch and ask you a question, where's the best place to find you? Oh, I suppose uh, I'm on Instagram. I've been uh, been trying to get some followers on Instagram, and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I think my uh, I'm following um, you. We're following you. <laughs> Just H-T-J-4. keep putting up the get the hashtags going. You'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at hashtags. Um, and on Twitter, I'm a bit of a Twitter fiend. So. Awesome. We'll link them in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to chat and we've talked across a variety of different topics. I think there's a lot here that people will get out of. Yeah, hopefully. No, thanks for listening to me waffle on for a bit. It was, uh, it was great to have you out. <laughs> no worries. It's my favourite thing to do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.